Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week. Just wanted to let you know that the book launch is now official. I will be talking to the incredible, I'm so excited about this, Fee Glover of Fortunately Podcast Fame and also Radio Fame on January the 17th at Earth in Hackney in London. If you head to Fane Productions, that's F-A-N-E, you can get your ticket. And we have also launched an amazing um well, what is it? It's just a free badge. It's not a competition. It's a free badge. So if you have pre-ordered and you upload your proof of purchase, you can get a free badge designed by Griefcast logo hero, Jade Perkin, who's an amazing artist. She designed my logo and also did a children's book about grief called Mum's Jumper, which is so beautiful. So I'm so excited. She's done a little pin badge, which will be sent to you for free. If you head to the Instagram or the Twitter at the Griefcast, you can find the link to get your badge. And if you head to Fame Productions, you can get your tickets for the book launch on January the 17th at Earth in Hackney, London and the book of course as I've told you comes out on January the 19th 2023 so please do get your pre-orders now and you get a free badge. This week I'm talking to the incredibly talented novelist, filmmaker, television producer and playwright James Runcie. Uh, he's written a wealth of things but he is probably most famous for the Grantchester novels which have also of course been turned into a television series and he has a new book coming out tomorrow if you're listening on the day this drops so the 24th of November 2022 called Tell Me Good Things on Love, Death and Marriage which is such a a beautiful book. James is just a very, very beautiful writer. And the book is all about his wife, Marilyn, who passed away in August 2020 from motor neurone disease. And that's who we're remembering today. So, James, who are we remembering today? We are remembering my wife, Marilyn Emery, who died in August 2020. 
So really recent. I count that as very, very recent, August 2020. And also died in such a difficult time. Obviously, yes. like in, in the middle of the, well, really the start of the pandemic. We'd had a lockdown, we'd come out of it, but no one knew what was going on. So what did Marilyn die of? Motor neurone disease, which is a very terrible illness, which is, as people know, a gradual paralysis, basically, and it either works from the head down or the feet up. You don't have the choice. And it's very hard to predict how long it's going to last. It's known in the trade or colloquial as the thousand-day disease, a thousand days from diagnosis, but it can last a very long time, as in the famous case of Stephen Hawking, or it can last a very short time. And the doctors are very, very unkeen to diagnose it. They talk about the aches and pains of ageing. They talk about, well, it may not be this. And it's the last thing they want to say. They're the three words, motor neurone disease, that they dread saying, because it is a complete death sentence. I mean, there it is fatal in every... There's no recovery. You can't fi- mm. fight it or battle it. You can try, but you can't. And there's no prediction of how long it will be. So... You look it up and it says, at Marilyn's stage, it said six months to two years. And I asked a friend who's a doctor and I said, well, two years. And she said, well, no, it could be six months, James. And in the end it was, it was five months, 22 days from a very late diagnosis. And that was, well, it was so slow and fast at the same Mm. time. As you know, death and grief, they can operate at different speeds. Um, And (laughs) the timescale is so... Weird. In a pandemic, it was incredibly insane because people were scared to come to the house um, and doctors were even, you know, very, very um, masked up and they looked like they were in hazmat suits and friends couldn't come. Now, in a way, that was a good thing because Marilyn didn't want anyone to see her deterioration, which was horrible. And she wanted to be remembered at her best, at her smiling, best-dressed happiest best so virtually nobody saw this slow well not always slow decline um into paralysis and finally the most awful thing of all speechlessness so you can't actually communicate it was it was a very difficult thing to do and i did it with my daughters and we decided to not go to try not to go to a hospice um which we did twice for five days and we wanted to keep her at home she wanted to be at home And there is one advantage in that you can prepare and you can talk. And Marilyn was able to prepare her own funeral with me and talk about what she wanted and talk about what our life and marriage had meant. And you are supposed to do all these things like come to terms. I I always find that phrase a bit complicated. Come to terms (laughs) with one's own death or come to terms with what's happening. She never came to terms with it. She didn't want to die. And uh, she was 72. Um, And we'd had 35 years. So everyone said, well, you've had a good lot of time together. Yes, yeah, yes. And I'm grateful for that. And actually, you know, to try and um, fold in gratitude to grief is one of the great challenges. Mm. But that doesn't mean it's sort of easy or you read a few books and learn how to do it. So you have to process it. All these words now have inverted commas around them, don't they? Process it, come to terms with it. Um, And uh, these inverted commas sort of say so much because you kind of think, well, sort of, but there's no 
just as you know they say with motor neuron disease every case is different every um every grief is different and and yeah. and it also it's different every day so it it's yeah. it's like i mean this came in a pandemic and grief itself is like a virus it keeps mutating in mm. different ways and just when you get to one stage in the nursing just when you get to one stage you you you, you find out how to use a ventilator uh, or you find out how to use a walking frame then there's no walking possible, so you then hoist arrives, and you think, wait a minute, I, I'm not a nurse. How do I how do I work this hoist? Rosie and I were sort of manipulating this hoist, and Marilyn could still just about speak, and uh, said at one point, I said, you're all right. She said, I used to be a glider pilot. And I went, what? You never told me that. She said, yes, I did glider pilot in my twenties. <laughs> I feel like I'm just going to close my eyes and pretend I'm gliding a plane over the fields of Fife. And so that was like, she was very determined to be as confident and obliging and as happy as she could be in the face of a sort of desperate, depressing unhappiness. Um, And so that was a challenge and you could see her trying to be happy. And we watched lots of telly, you know, and we we (laughs) listened to lots of music and, and I found it rather bizarre because the people who did come are priests. My father was a priest and he died. And when he died and my mother uh, both died. And when they came, when they died, um, my father died of prostate cancer and my mother died of septicemia. And priests would come, but they'd come for 15 minutes, 20 minutes with a script. You know, they had a service, they had prayers. And then off they went, leaving you with 23 hours, 40 minutes <laughs> in order to try and say something or just yeah. be with somebody. And that's, and I know just being with somebody is what you have to be. Knowing what you have to do doesn't make it easier to do. No. So when was, she was diagnosed after the pandemic had started then? The day before. Oh my God, James! <laughs> the day before, so Fuck. it was insane. We were in London and we got back just in time, and then there was lockdown. Yes, so the hospital bed that was delivered to they put it did manage to get it inside the front door, and that was sort of about it really. And there was a very lovely woman who came and taught us how to use a ventilator, and you have to like in all these things with illness, which some people weren't prepared to accept you have to be ready for the next stage before it happens you have to anticipate the next stage and anticipation I think is a big thing in terms of grief and in terms of death you know because you can anticipate and I had because I'm a writer I'd written about um I wrote the Grantchester mistress at Sydney Chambers his wife dies in in the course of the last book in the series and my children said I hope you're not proud of this because the (laughs) wife is obviously she is, Hildegard is a kind of version of Marilyn. And I was trying to prepare, and I've always dreaded it. Dreaded death, the death of a loved one. I've always dreaded, dreaded the death of my father, dreaded the death of my mother. We always dread it. But actually, anticipatory grief, I don't think it's that helpful because when grief comes or when death comes, it is different to anything you could possibly have imagined. And even if you, and you know, even if you've been through it once, you kind of think you can do it, but actually, it's different. It's the death, it's different. Of, death of a parent is different to the death of a, a wife or yeah. a loved one or a child. Yeah, and I think, as you know, we were saying before, like grief is completely unique because it's based on the relationship of those two people. When they are together, what you know, chemical magic conundrums, reactions happen. And once that person is gone, it's different for everybody. And so, yeah, you can especially when someone has a terminal illness, you can sort of, I mean, you know they're going to die, but you also don't know. You also absolutely don't know. Even though if someone said to you, 
do you, you know, do you know they're going to die? You would say, yes, 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 I do, they're ill. But there's another part of your brain I definitely felt was like, yeah, I don't think they will. Because you just haven't, it hasn't happened yet. Yes. And it's so hard to actually, until someone is properly dead and you see them and you think, well, that, that is it. It's really hard to get your head right, especially in the middle of the pandemic, James. I can't imagine what you were, because everyone got so involved with themselves. Obviously, yes. everyone had so much to deal with, whereas normally... In that situation, I imagine you would have had people, like you said, rallying around and helping. Yes. Everyone had something to deal with. Yes. I mean, friends did leave food at the doorstep very helpfully and very nicely, really nice, and brought flowers and all of that. So that was there. But it was quite a, a lonely, focused, concentrated time. Yeah. You know, and that was, that was difficult. And everyone, you know, and you have these, obviously, you have irrational bits of fury. I mean, I think mm. fury and anger is, is is part of it all. I mean, Rosie and I, shortly after Marilyn died, we went for a walk and this neighbour was very pleased about getting, he's one of the first to be vaccinated. And he said, I'm going to have my vaccine because I'm going to be 80 on, um, 80 on Saturday and I'm going to have it for my, it's going to be my 80th birthday present. And after they left, Rosie, my daughter said, did you just hate him? Because he's eight <laughs> years older than Marilyn and he's yeah. still alive and he's having a vaccine. And we would swear at Gardener's World, some man on Gardener's <laughs> World saying, I think I've got 15 years left of gardening in me. And we thought, yeah, yeah, good for you. Bully for you. <laughs> um, so you would have strange fits of anger. There's, there's that Wordsworth poem, strange fits of passion I have known. Strange fits of anger I have known. Because you do know someone's going to die, but you don't know when. Mm. And you have no idea when. And so you have these extraordinary moments of thinking, well, is it is it going to be today? Is it going to mm. be tonight? And what, what do we have left? Do we have a week left, a month left, two months left? And um, we had four to, four to five hours of caring uh, towards the end where incredible carers came in, all masked up and everything, but they were fantastic uh, for food, feeding and, you know, toiletries and all that kind of stuff. And I would look at them and they'd say, no, 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 no. But when somebody can't eat or, and then can't swallow, uh, then it, then you do know you're in the, the last week. But you went, we said, I mean, I said goodbye four times. And the third time I said goodbye, um, it was, I thought, well, this is really is it. And she could hardly speak. And so it was a very one-way conversation. And I, was, I talked about, you know, everything our life had meant. And she just said, enough. Because, <laughs> yes, shut up, basically. <laughs> because she couldn't answer back. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and that's... that's saying all this stuff, she wants to say, yeah, I remember that. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, yes, I love you. Yeah, yeah I know. Stop wittering on. <laughs> Um, and in the end, you know, you play music and you hold her hand and, you know, and you, you learn about how important lighting is, you know, candles, smells, nice perfumes, anything to try and take away the horror of what's happening, you know, but you're both in the moment and out of it. I mean, it is like a dream. And then the other th weird thing is it happens. The cold fact happens. You know, your wife is dead, not a sentence you thought you'd say. And then you find yourself saying sentences over the next few months before Marilyn died or when Marilyn was alive or when she you think well I don't that sentence isn't coming out of my mouth like that what, when Marilyn was alive what do I mean by that and then you live in this sort of hinterland and you know life will never be the same again you can try and make it the same and same same things happen but you know I've all of these manifestations of grief you think well I suppose I better get some food <laughs> and you go to Sainsbury's and you think well what it doesn't matter. The apple, mm. orange, tomato—I don't care. I have lettuce. <laughs> what do I do with all these things? And mm. friends said, "I mean, 
my, my, my friend Julie gave me a book. She came to see me immediately. Uh, she was allowed and came with a book called Solo, The Joy of Cooking for One. And I said, <laughs> what the fuck is this? There's no joy in cooking for one. What do you mean, the joy of cooking for one? Fuck off. <laughs> she said, that's not very grateful. <laughs> you're not quite at the stage where you're ready to be like, yes, how wonderful. I only yes. cook for one person. Yeah, yeah. The and then you like, do, no, and then, of course, I try them. them. I try to make them. And then, of course, you remember Marilyn cooking, and then everything is freighted with yeah. memories of Marilyn and the meals we had. And then you cook, and you manage to make something rather nice. I can't remember, but, you know, some vaguely otolingi type thing with couscous and recipes that might as well begin first flight of Beirut to pick <laughs> up the herbs. Um, and you put them all together and then you put them down on the table with the white wine and with the telly and you think, well, what do I do now? I suppose I watch the telly, I suppose I eat this. And then what do I do when I've finished eating this? Mm. <laughs> what do I do? I've got to clear it away. And then I've got to go to bed, which is a whole other area. There's nobody turned to the left and, oh nobody there and so it's it's a very you know all those sort of degrees of everyday life and you go to the bathroom for example and then you remember Marilyn always used to complain that I never put the bath mat back and I thought well I'm certainly putting it back now I'm putting it back every day for the rest of my life this bloody bath mat <laughs> I did like, put it back I did, I did I've done it I've done it yeah, yeah. yeah I did put the bath mat back that's a lie that I never put the bath mat back <laughs> and then you know all these things I mean you know you go and you drowsy in the morning you make the coffee and you pull out the two mugs of coffee and then you go, oh, and even after, even a year later, I went to see my friends Tom and Sue, and they were Sue was preparing lunch and everything, and we were just talking away. And she started, she got the plates out, and she said, Oh, I've got four plates. Uh, oh, there's no, and you know, and it goes on, and, and you think, Oh, have I, what, what's going on? And I mean, we had only, only a month ago, I went to a, to a, a party in a posh big house with a garden. And uh, two two of the guests bounced, and we, I was having drinks in the in the in a room, and which looked out into the garden. And these two lovely men bounced up and said, "Hi, James! How wonderful to see you! And where's the lovely Marilyn? Is she in the garden?" And I said, "No, she's dead." I said, "What?" I said, "No, she's she's dead. I'm really sorry to say dead, but she is actually dead." And they said, "But that she can't be. That's impossible." I said, "I know. I know it's impossible, but it is possible. And yes, it has happened." And um, I was speaking to some bloke and then they turned to the bloke and said, so is this your new partner? I went, no, <laughs> no. You can no. see this poor innocent man was horrified that I yeah. might be his partner. Um, and, um, you know, and you feel churlish because it's 18 months, it's going to be two years in August. And should one have got over it by now, in inverted commas, should one have moved on? Well, yes, some of the time, yes, I have. Some of the time I can function perfectly normally. I can absolutely be normal. You wouldn't know, you wouldn't know anything was wrong at all. Absolutely fine. And then, you know, I'm sure all of you guessed, one of the real problems is people being nice. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I don't <laughs> mind <okay>. shits. <laughs> it's the nice people that are the problem. People who, well, people who are just concerned, or Marilyn's friends, Marilyn's best friends, or... You know, the, the, those kind of people, people who miss her and and also people who then then people who who are lovely and say how close she was to them and talk about her. And that's both nice. And you want to say, hang on a minute, my wife, actually, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you want ownership. And that's you have to share. You have to be very as generous as you can be 
with grief and share it and help other people who've lost a friend or lost a mother in the case of my daughters. And you have to do that. And, but we're there, my daughters are really, my daughter and stepdaughter are really sensitive to this and have been a brilliant. And, but of course it does affect them in a very different way than it affects me. And grief oh, is yeah. different across a family. Definitely. And Jay, I just honestly, I'm moved. I am so moved to tears by what you're describing, because I think you're capturing so perfectly the tiny domestic things that happen in grief. And because I think what people expect is like, oh, I went to the sea and I wailed. And actually, it's like you said, it's the plates. It's It's the the bath mat. It's the bath mat. It's the fucking bath mat. (laughs) It's these stupid little things that you want to say, oh, I thought grief would be grander. I thought grief would be, you know, uh, Greek tragedy but actually it's the bath mat and I think so many people will relate to what you're saying of like these tiny ways that it just keeps I always it's like you know it's like being stabbed by a compass isn't it it's like ow ow like tiny little owls that eventually you're like oh it's quite a big painful scar now (laughs) yes it's like I know I know individually these are very small pains but gathered all together in one day I'm in a lot of pain and I think so many people relate to what you're saying it's just it's just hard and honestly I hear this all the time from people early days in their grief journey of, um, oh, you know, two years. Two years, I, to me, nothing. It's nothing. It's too, you know, if you were married for two years, people wouldn't be like, wow, you've been married for ages. Like, yeah, that's yes, so exactly. boring. Yeah, that's absolutely God, how do you true. guys find anything to talk? Yeah, someone's been dead for two years. You had them in your life for so long. Like, to, yeah, one, you don't get over grief. And to, like, two two years in the space of a life especially you said the two of you had left together yeah family together it's nothing of course you still have those moments of course it's still hard and and I think the first year we always say on the show the first year is such a blur it's such chaos you you know you you just you don't know how you existed but you did that the second year offers quite a lot of other you're more aware I think yes the grief and you're more sort of um like awake perhaps is a a good way of expressing it because the first year, I think, you just wake up and then it's been a year. And you think, oh, yes. I suppose it has. <laughs> but the second year, you're like, oh, I know it's coming. I can see all these things now. Like, Yeah, that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. And um, you have... There are sort of issues. I mean, obviously, birthdays. Um, mm. Obviously, anniversaries. Obviously, the dread that is Christmas. Um, yeah and the summer holiday and places you've been and where do I go then um the sort of lunches with friends and then the uh I'll have to make up a name here the positioning of Sophie a widow um if Sophie's lost a husband you've lost a wife you know maybe you'll get on with Sophie oh god and um (laughs) you kind of think well and you feel really sorry for Sophie He's been yeah, landed yeah, yeah. with this sort of grumpy, swearing, alcoholic <laughs> widower who's a bit of a lovey. And she'll go, what? Like, him? Are you mad? And you go, no, Sophie, no, it's all right. It's okay, Sophie. I'm not, you don't have to go out with me. It's okay. Yeah. But the idea that you would pair people up just because they've both known someone who's died. They both love someone who's died. It's like, yes. there's, there's, I mean, yes, you can have a great chat probably about grief and what it means like, but it's not necessarily going to be... So do you want to go to the pictures with me? Like, it's like, I, I think know, I know. people find, they did it to my, my mum said this, they did it to her a lot of like, oh, well, you know, well, now you must need somebody. You've got two mugs. Well, what, you know, you can't have one mug. And she was like, what if I'm fine? What if yes. like, I'm sad, but I'm fine. I, I would, I don't want to hang out with somebody else. Yes. <laughs> it's like, like maybe that's, but people do find it hard. And that is their way of helping, but it's a very, um, 
it's a very weird way of helping really because you know it's as if as if you can replace somebody who you'd love yes. all that time. I mean, if she was still alive, they wouldn't say, well, are you bored? Do you want to meet Sophie? She's lost someone. <laughs> yes, I know. Just because Marilyn isn't here doesn't mean that you can just fill well, that gap. Yes, it, it doesn't. And I'm, I'm being slightly disingenuous, and I have to confess, I do actually currently have well, I, I have a girlfriend. Um, uh, and she's no, abso- Nothing wrong with that. Nothing and, wrong with that. and she is absolutely fab. But of course, that, and I don't want to sound like a spoilt person. I have checked with her if I can talk about this. And she says, yes, it's fine. But, you know, she is great. She's absolutely great. Absolutely lovely. That doesn't mean, there are two things. It doesn't mean mm. I don't miss Marilyn and I don't yeah. feel that Marilyn's. And there are complications that, I mean, buying her birthday present, for example, you think, well, I don't know, jewellery. And then you go into look at some jewellery and you think, well, if it was Marilyn, I'd know what to buy. But yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, wh- what do I do? I buy some of this. Or I, and if it was Marilyn, this. And actually, loving love after love is a very complicated thing because it, yeah. you can just like if you have a second child doesn't mean you don't love the first yes, um, yeah, yeah. so you know there is that but I, there was a very now this is alarmingly intimate but I'm going here so okay. stay with me um, so towards the end of Marilyn's life yeah that kind of sentence what no. yeah. anyway towards the end of Marilyn's life obviously the nights were quite difficult because her breathing became incredibly erratic and you would and she would she always had intermittent breathing but um she there would be pauses and then a big intake of breath and then a big long pause and towards the end i would think oh well is is this going to be it is is she going to die tonight is this going to be it and um i would dread and though i couldn't sleep because i didn't want to miss the moment or i didn't know whether it was going to happen so i had this sleeplessness while listening to Marilyn's breathing. And obviously then there came a night when her breathing did stop. So early on with Lucinda, because that is her name, um, she was asleep. I was telling her a story about uh, an opera I'd seen, which ended with somebody in tears. So it didn't end with the music, it ended with Dido, Dido and Aeneas, Dido crying. And I I was telling this story, I thought rather well, it was about midnight, (laughs) I was telling the story very well. And Lucinda fell asleep <laughs> in the middle and she fell deeply asleep. And I didn't know she was a type of fall deeply asleep. Yeah, and I yeah. said, are you listening? And then I thought, oh, she's not actually breathing. Oh, God. I thought, oh, God. oh, for Christ's sake, she's dead. She's done. I've been <laughs> this woman two weeks and she's dead too. What the fuck? She's bloody died on me. <laughs> and oh, James. So I had to wake her up. Of course. She of said, course what are you doing waking up. me up? I was asleep. I said, no, I thought you were dead. She said, I thought you were ridiculous. dead. <laughs> you're like, ridiculous. no, I come from a place where people did, were <laughs> talking to me and they were dying. So of and course I'm on edge. You're, you're such a catastrophist. And I said, yes, because I've had a catastrophe. Yeah, yeah you know. that's fair <laughs> That's fair <laughs> We call it on the show um, death anxiety. And I think, I don't yeah. know anyone who hasn't, hasn't suffered it after, a, you know, a, a really big shocking grief or someone who's been very ill because... And I, I, you know, I was in therapy for a long time and um, my therapist kept saying, you know, not, not everybody dies, Carrie. And I was like, yes, but somebody did. Somebody yes. did. And yes. so I, my evidence is quite strong. You know, like the, the test I did, the, the lab I went into, the dad died. So, of course, when people don't text back or they, they you know, they look like they're sleeping too heavily, of course you think, oh, my God, they're dead. Because yeah. that's your ex- lived experience. So, yeah, yeah but that... 
I mean, that would be really bad luck, James. <laughs> it would be like, quite bad luck. That would be really, I'd be really like, oh no, that is awful. So I'm, I'm glad that didn't. No, no, she is still alive. Know. It was just a very boring story about opera, clearly. <laughs> I know, it was clearly a terrible story. I'll just pep it up next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. But it is, you know, you do, people say, um, you know, I'm glad you've moved on or I'm glad mm. you found something. I see, I, and that's what you mean is it's not, that's really interesting to me because, like, things can be true at the same time. Like yes. you said, that you have an, a new girlfriend and you are happy, but it doesn't mean you have moved on in the way that that Karen, person I, I didn't I think matter. happy is pushing it a bit. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> apologies. Steady, steady on You're with steady the word on, happy. Steady on, yes. <laughs> too, too, Calm too down, calm down on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but no, 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 no. It's no, almost no, like I, the language fails us, doesn't it? Because yes. what they mean Well, is... obviously I have happy moments and happy yeah. times, uh, but then you do, yeah, I'm utter catastrophist now. Yeah. And, and obviously, yeah, you do, it doesn't go away. And I have to tell the children, particularly the children, I have to say, look, it doesn't mean I don't love your mother, you know, and yeah. it's absolutely true. And it is possible to love more than one person. And you you just live in this in this way in which, you know, weird um, conjunctions happen. So here's, um, here's another little story, which is, so we were having supper the other night and Lucinda was chopping a cabbage with a knife. And she said, I can't, my wrist isn't strong enough to cut this, cut, cut through my, I don't know, something's happened to my wrist. I said, stop, yeah. just stop, right? I'm really sorry. You yeah. cannot complain about wrist being, not being strong enough. You, it's just too close to motor neurone disease. Mm. You, you, I'm really sorry. Please don't, give me the cabbage, give me the knife. I will cut it. Just don't refer to any weakening of muscle strength. And she said, I know. She said, I'm really sorry. I said, well, I'm really sorry to raise it, but I just, 
It was instant flashback to yeah. Marilyn holding, picking up a saucepan and going, I can't carry this, you'll have to carry it. And so, yes, yeah, saucepans, bath mats, two cups of coffee, that's where it all hits. You're having a perfectly nice evening. You've got a new girlfriend, she's lovely. It's all nice, music's playing, she's cooking, you're cooking supper together, just like old times. And she suddenly says some fatal thing yeah. and totally unconsciously and you both go, oh no that's it for the next half hour because she's referred to waning muscle strength totally accidentally yeah and it's that's the thing i think like what you're what you're describing is like the complexity of grief that i think people find really hard to get their heads around because what they want is a really simple story yeah like it's only a bloody cabbage yeah it's all that's very sad um his wife died now he has a new girlfriend i'm i imagine he's fine they want the fine to be true because that makes them feel better that makes them go oh if anything happened to me i would be fine and i would be okay (laughs) rather than the complexity is yes this moment is lovely but then i have a flashback of this moment and there's so many truths at the same time in one's life but i think we find that really we find it hard to give people the complexity they deserve Yes, I think that's absolutely true. And then the funny thing is that, I mean, I've had two most bizarre experiences. One is envy. You're lucky, James, because you found love again. I'm still stuck with the same husband. (laughs) Wait wait a minute. (laughs) Oh, yes. How lucky. Yeah. Well well done, me. I'm so glad my wife went through all that so that I could be happy again. And then um, some woman in St. Monan's in this village in Scotland said to me, "Um, well, you're really lucky, James. I said... Really? Am I? <laughs> said, yeah, am I? She said, yeah, because you think you're a writer. You've got your imagination. You can go into your imagination. You can have an imaginative life rather than a real one. I said, the imagination's not always an advantage, I have to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> imagination, imagination can make it worse. You know, there is a oh chance that imagination can actually make it worse. My mum always said, someone came up to her in the supermarket, like, not that long after my dad had died and said, oh, you're so lucky. And she was like, what? right. And she said, because well, I'm divorced. So he's still here. I have to deal with him. And my mum was like, yeah, but I didn't want him to be dead. (laughs) What is the comparison? Well, it's it's easier for you. Like as if like he was like a bin that had gone, you know, like the rubbish has gone. Well, that's better. We at least we don't have to look at him. (laughs) It's like, uh, yeah, I think people, some people just do not think before they speak because to say to someone who's lost someone in such a painful way in such difficult times, you're lucky, is like, yes. no, I would disagree with you heavily there that luck is involved in yes. uh, no, watching someone you love die from a terminal illness is not lucky. And like you said, the imagination thing is really, I think as right, you know, I have recently written a book all about grief and that you definitely have um, a place you can put these feelings. But like you said, the imagination is a, is a really powerful thing. It's like having a dragon, isn't it? It's like, yeah, sometimes it's great and it destroys things I don't like, but sometimes it burns my house down. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly, yes. It's like, I don't, I'm not always in control of this imagination. Like, I don't always get to decide what is it, it's up to, you yes. know? Well, it's like your dreams. You can't control your dreams. But I think this is why what you're doing is so important because lots of people don't have the language around grief, you know, the language around it, or they're embarrassed by it. And it's different in different countries. You know, in Ireland, people cross the road to say you're all right rather than avoid you. Um, And um, I I think that... We don't really, I mean, because priests and doctors, they have this language, but what one might call non-priests, non-doctors, I try to avoid (laughs) the phrase ordinary people, (laughs) as if they're not ordinary. But they, 
we don't we're not comfortable around it because mm. you don't really we, we want a bit of small talk or we want a bit of conversation we can cope with and yeah. you're always terrified people are terrified of people are so terrified of saying the wrong thing and that they yeah. you know you end up talking about the weather and then or something uh, and then um in fact well after my dad died um i had to cancel his bank account so i went to lloyd's bank in st albans and the cashier said oh, oh i'm very sorry about this you know when did he die i said saturday and they said oh we had a good day for it <laughs> 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 Sunny day, great. <laughs> Thank God the for that. People say, I just like, I guess sometimes people, like you said, it's just like their mouth just opens and yes. the first thing comes out. What a, yeah, he was sunny. Great. Yeah, Congratulations. Very, he he it, was so pleased. <laughs> I know. He was saying, Not to go when it was raining. Not what to go that? when it was like, raining. Yeah. Oh my God. We, I know. So those those kind of mad things people say and you think, oh, Gosh. And obviously there is, the world is divided between people who've lost parents and people who haven't, and people who've lost partners and people who haven't. And, you know, the letters from people who'd lost partners were incredibly moving. And, you know, for example, there's a difference between a psychiatrist who said to me, um, you can phone me any time, but Saturday afternoons are best. <laughs> <laughs> to my friend Rachel, who just sent me a text saying, you can phone me any time, I mean it any time. Mm. Uh, and so that's that, that's kind of ways of ways of dealing with it and to be there for people i'm not necessarily very good but my my friend rachel you know ha her husband went off for a bike ride and had a heart attack and just that was it and so we've talked about the difference between i mean neither neither is good uh, mm -hmm. the sudden death without warning yeah. and then the the long well, not that long but the six months warning which yeah. we don't know is six months but the six month warning where you have time to get used to it and um, obviously neither are advisable yeah i think we've had that on the show as well lots of people have said lots of people who've lost people suddenly to heart you know a heart attack or got the phone call have said oh i wish you know the terminal illness and the terminal illness gang are like actually you know obviously there's no one wins that's the thing yes, nobody yeah. wins because you know one is such a terrible shock and you don't get to say anything but the other one is you watch someone it's so much pain and also the thing i've often said to people with that query is like my dad had a terminal illness but he didn't talk about it like he didn't want to he was like i'm not dying so you can think oh well we're gonna get this time to talk about it and the person might not <laughs> have yes. a conversation with you and you can equally have the sudden death where but someone has previously had that conversation really what matters is the conversation like have it before like get those conversations in did you find that you said Marilyn planned her own funeral like was yes. that really a helpful thing that you'd had those conversations yes absolutely and and also instructions i mean mm. lots of instructions this came from my dad who planned his own funeral and came Where? down to supper once with a brown envelope with the event written on it the event <laughs> and uh, and put it on the table and my charlotte my youngest was only 10 at the time and um she said what's that he said it's plans for my funeral and she burst into tears and oh. um and my father said don't worry i'm rather looking forward to it <laughs> and, <laughs> So the idea of having a funeral, yes, so planning the funeral music and what the music would be and who would do what and everything. Yes, we, we had that. And then we had, um, we were sitting looking out to sea at one point and we, we, the doctor said, never mind this lockdown business, just take it to the sea and yeah. just, you know, just, and here's a letter that you can show anyone who stops you. 
Um, so we went to look at the sea and um, she said, um, now, it, it, it was quite early because she could still speak. And she said, now, I don't mind if you marry again. We went through the service and she mm. said, I don't mind if you marry again. I said, you do. Said, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I, said, <laughs> I said, no, you don't. You, you have to be buried with me. And so there was the burial, you know, oh. so we did the service, want to be yep. buried, not cremated, want to be buried here by the sea. You have to be buried with me. She said, I, no, I don't, I really don't. I said, you do mind. She said, no, I'd ra- all right. I'd rather you had a string of affairs with women, none of whom live, live up to me. <laughs> you know, they're all... <laughs> that is the right answer, Marilyn. That I is said, the I said, right I'll do my, I said, I'll do my best then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, she said, also, uh, the old, my stepdaughter's 41. Nobody younger than Rosie. Nobody <laughs> younger than Rosie. <laughs> No, nobody younger than Rosie. And, oh, I love her. Yes, I love her. and you must, you know, you must protect the children's interests, and nobody ghastly or embarrassing. And um, yeah, those are the only conditions, really. Age not ghastly, buried with me. Uh, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> so, like, that's so incredible that you were able to have that conversation. That is an incredible thing, and not not lucky. Just, I'm glad that she was able to say that. And I think those are like excellent life rules of like yes. not younger than one of the kids. Like that, yeah. you know, that's when you're going to make her feel a bit uncomfortable. So let's yeah push just up yeah. higher. Nobody that's... off the internet in a foreign <laughs> country. Not... <laughs> having you going to Latvia oh Um, my god yeah um, anyway so yeah so it was that but then of course all of this planning um the other thing I think you talk about quite a lot is sort of writing things down in notebooks Mm. and keeping things and obviously I've written a memoir which um was really helpful writing down certain things about planning the funeral or about Venice a place we went to quite a lot or about her clothes or and in the process of writing I was able to remember more and that was Mm. so I thought oh I can't I've forgotten that bit and also there were some risky things like looking at her notebooks and looking at her she used to do lots of drawings looking at her drawings and memories of holidays and all of that and um, obviously you you're very wobbly about remembering times that you know when you the rows you had you know, mm. the arguments you had or difficulties. So you have to watch the old regret bit, mm. um, which is obviously an enormous bit sometimes. I wish I hadn't been so stressed about stupid work at the BBC. I wish we'd had more time on holiday. I wish I hadn't carried my work home with me so much. I wish I hadn't been so stressed. I wish I'd been a better parent. I wish I'd been a better husband. All of that kicks in and then you have yeah. to. So then I suppose the advantage... Oh, ho, ho, the word advantage. Um, the, <laughs> the advantage of some kind of one bit of the terminology thing is you can show how much you love someone as they are yeah. dying and you can be in service to them and really prove it. And I don't think Marilyn was in much doubt that I loved her uh, at the, in, the, in that time. And so that, because of that, I have less guilt about, you know, not being good enough or you know because she she had an ideal dad which is always a slight problem uh, because obviously I couldn't live up to her dad Um, yeah my husband's very grateful for my slightly disorganized not perfect dad (laughs) I I definitely I'm not one of those people who like I feel for my daughter because I think my husband's such a good dad I'm like oh mate this is this is unusual what you're dealing with (laughs) yes I know I must learn to tell my children the the advantages of having an inadequate father yes tell them it does it works out it means my son-in-law has got an easier ride yes yeah, yeah, at least yeah. he's not like not like dad 
So, I mean, yeah, let's just say Shawnee should be more grateful. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, because they, yes, they don't like... I went through a phase of thinking it was funny to be embarrassing, to be embarrassing yeah, Dad, because it annoyed them did. so much. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, this is quite a laugh, being embarrassing. No, it's, it's not. Awful. It's not actually a laugh. Yes, just, that's what my dad did. And I was like, never got to explain to him fully of like, it actually was embarrassing. Like, it wasn't funny. It was just embarrassing. Like, yes, exactly. You were laughing, but just you, me, my friends, the other parents, all not laughing. Yeah, so, just because yeah. you think it's funny doesn't mean it is. Yeah, it was a good life lesson. You know, we've all got to learn these lessons but I think that's you're right you do you do get and obviously what happened to you you know like you said you got to be there for her at the worst of times in that sort of cliched well there was no choice way. yeah there's no choice it becomes a job it is yeah. your full-time job so you have to stop all other work and and do that and as, as we know time stops for a death and time stops mm. for a terminal illness and that is your job you have to do that um Mm. and there is no choice well unless she said you could just leave me i said are you mad you know (laughs) why don't you just leave me and there was no obviously because of the pandemic there was no discussion of um switzerland you know the uh, the dignitas um although there might have been had it been diagnosed earlier i don't know whether we'd ever have done that because there were some warning signs that were put down to other things from about 2016 and then it was august to December was there was something seriously wrong that she was so frightened and she hid things from us because mm. didn't want us to know so she hid lots of painkillers and there was a fall that she didn't tell me about you know and which is where you started to you know where it started to go horribly wrong um but I don't know whether we'd have done that that's a conversation that has no help uh, yeah, uh, now yeah. because I don't know whether we'd have done it or not I think we probably wouldn't have done it because you do want to survive for as long as possible and you do want to stay at home for as long as possible yeah. and you want to be in your own home but it does mean of course um it does mean of course the bedroom is a yeah. is a place uh, yeah. is a place where she died and although there was a hospital bed so it's not our bed but that is still problematic and obviously everyone has been through this knows about the problem of the clothes or mm. the scent or shoes handbags jewelry so i gave we've given she bequested a lot of the jewelry and i have 10 pieces that um are lovely and are in a in my drawer really i don't know i mean obviously i'm not going to wear earrings <laughs> or a, you know, a, a, a jangly necklace big jangly necklaces but the clothes are part they're still there you know and she yeah. was such an ostentatious dresser that um it's hard to know what to do we can't really bear anyway so that we that's all part. and that takes time you know i think yeah. that's the thing is people if you're not haven't been through it you don't realize like the amount of time it takes to to face things like that like it's not like you go right okay they're dead we buried them time to open the wardrobe like it's not and it's hard because you're right caring is a job and it becomes quite um rigid and structured like okay nine o'clock you do that we do this yes but grief isn't grief isn't structured at all grief is this just mess on the floor and you know i've said it on the show before but like my dad's ashes were in the wardrobe for 10 years gosh (laughs) yes 10 years and we just kept thinking oh we should do something with dad shouldn't we but like we just no one was quite ready and and now i don't i don't feel feel bad about it at all like nobody was ready and when you are ready you feel it like that's the thing it was such a change and I think the house is really what you're describing is really interesting like 
my dad worked from home and he had a study and it took a long time for us not to refer to that as dad's study. Yes. Like, you know, and now, and then it became like, you know, it's got a cot in it now. It's where grandchildren sleep. And it's, you know, if you, if you say the study, one of us would be like, would you, what room? Oh, right. Yeah. Like yeah. And that took years. And also it took years for like the smell of him to just not be in that house. Cause it was a tiny study and he's yes. a smelly man. And then, you know, it just takes, yeah, all of that stuff is, I think the thing is like, everything's on a different timeline, you know, like it, clothes and jewelry and memories and what house meant, like that is on a totally different timeline to like you being able to go to Sainsbury's and not burst into tears or, yes. be, you know, being able to have dinner with friends and not, and not feel like this is too painful. Like did everything's you find, on a different uh, one. Did you find going to his study helpful? Yeah, I did. Uh, Weirdly, what I found, we kept the door closed. Actually, I've never said that. We kept the door closed for ages. And I found the door being closed helpful because it was like, yeah. it was like maybe he's behind there. Yeah, yeah. And actually when it was open and it was just like this empty, you know, this, this had been this really intense office of someone running their own business from our house. It, you sort of would see this emptiness. But it was actually the door closed, it being there, just being there made me sort of think, well, in a way it feels like he's closed the door and he's still in there on a phone call trying to do something, trying to set up some intranet meeting in America. And so, yeah, I, I wouldn't... Going in there was quite tricky. But I would do it when I was in the mood. You know, when you're yeah. in the mood to open that feeling, open literally open that door and go, oh, he's not here. Okay, how do I feel about that? I'm sad. Okay, well, I'm going to close the door again. <laughs> but just having that space there, I suppose it was such a, of, a literal metaphor. You know, if you put that in the yes. book, it'd be a bit much, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, um, so, yeah, I found that helpful. But it's, yes. So there's a better, I mean, obviously, I, I have a gravestone with my name on it. Oh, wow. Which is quite challenging sometimes yeah, and I yeah. go it's in Scotland but I go every two weeks and I stay there for a few days and it's a really beautiful graveyard above a church in this village St Monans on the hill and um it is odd seeing on it and I try to make sure that well I, do, I don't try I do make sure there are lovely flowers and they're mixed with flowers all the time and I take them and um and there's some very very nice fellow mourners you know lovely mm -hmm. who are tidying graves and everything and um you have these you know bizarre moments because early on um i didn't really know what to do how long to stay how to yeah, how to, how to yeah. behave in a graveyard you know yeah, that's true. and so i'd the, sort of put the, do the flowers tidy make it tend to it and everything and then stand there and look at it and look out to sea and have a little thing and everything and a neighbor came over and said Are you having a bit of a chat and i said well sort of i'm just not getting very much back <laughs> and um but I, I, you know, I went and had a little explanation about Lucinda. You know, I told, I said, look, I'm really oh. sorry, but this, I mean, it's not my fault you died. And <laughs> so we had a row, had a row in my head, you know, with my dead wife, you know. Um, and, oh, uh, James, that's so brilliant. That's so but brilliant. I, I said, I think she's, uh, you know, and people, People say to me, oh, no, Marilyn would be very happy for you. And I thought, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think at all, actually. I think she'd be pretty fucking furious. And I think that's, that's what's so... That's what I love about people who can talk about grief, to be honest. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, to not put them on the pedestal and be like, oh, how wonderful. And be like, no, no, she'd be pissed off. Like, yes. she'd be annoyed. Look, she'd get over it. She understands. But she would definitely have the first reaction would be like, oh, I see. And that's... Didn't take you that long, did yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> but I love that so much because that's 
that's how you know a person. Like, that's yeah. the truth of a person. When you deny that truth, it's like they didn't exist. Yes. And it's like you're talking about someone and you're like, well, I don't know the person you're talking about. Like, people yeah. said to me all the time, oh, he was so such a wonderful father. I was like, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah. Don't say that. Like, be honest. Be like, he was great sometimes and he was complicated and mad and interesting. But don't lie about who he was because yes. then I can't grieve for that person. So Yeah. Well, Marilyn was officially a saint and everyone very <laughs> loved and everyone... Yeah, she was wonderful. She was absolutely wonderful. I mean, completely wonderful. But that... Saints are not always easy to live with. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And there's... And so she was utterly fantastic. And there are lovely things about... It gives you some kind of insurance for the rest of your life to know that yeah. you were loved and you loved somebody yeah. and you know how you loved. And it does give you, as well as you are in the you know, this afterlife, this love after love world, but this afterlife and this, your life goes on without the person you spent all that time with. So there is that, but you do, and what you have to try and do, I think is try, if you have had that, to be thankful for that. Yeah. And it was very important. And with the memorial service was ages later. It was only, it was, you know, 15 course, months after she died. Pandemic, because pandemic, yeah. Yeah. We had a funeral, which was just 11 people <clears> in this graveyard. It was very beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then we had this massive memorial service, which was fantastic, with the, with the service that she had planned with all her favourite music and wonderful musicians and wonderful actors, because she was a theatrical person. And it was fantastic. And I was determined to end on a thankful note. You know, I was determined to end on... However, you know, a happy note. So she had a theatrical round of applause, you know, which was a two-minute <laughs> round of applause and a big a bit of Dusty Springfield at the end. You know, you don't have to say you love me. Sing along, you know, oh, behind wow. masks. <laughs> the masks. <laughs> Never mind the masks singer. What about the masks sing along? <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, and I was determined that there should be some celebr, you know, a celebration yeah. of her life. The fact that she lived is more important than her death. And also the other thing is that try to not let the illness define her life yeah. try not to let the last six months last year two years define her life because before all of that even though in those two years she was still magnificent in many ways she was completely magnificent before the final illness and you have to remember that so you know 70 out of 72 years or 71 and a half out of 72 yeah. years were fantastic yeah that's so important that's so important and that is the journey you go on with grief i think of like at, at the end of someone's life all you can see is that you're so close to the the bomb blast and then you sort of zoom out slowly and you can yes. see them and you start seeing remembering them well and those memories and and that is the part of grief of, is sort of balancing those two truths like that there was yes. this awful death and it was very horrible and painful but there was this life and and these both these things exist in this person and that's what makes made them them and that's I yes just think and you try to carry them with you you yeah. try to believe in that sentence that's often at funerals death is nothing at all well that's not true um <laughs> but um but you do try to carry them with you you know uh i think that's a bastille song you find out you end up speaking in song lyrics before yeah, you yeah. Know it. <laughs> <laughs> um but there's there's something very well, you try to make it hopeful. So I know that the rest of today, I've got to do other things, but because we've had this conversation, yeah. I will be able to take Marilyn into the rest of the day. And it is armour. It is some kind of protection against things. You can't get to me because I've had Marilyn. So you can actually 
shut up. You can't, you can be, you can be snotty to me at the BBC or you can be, you can diss my book. I don't care because I've had Marilyn, you know, so, you know, you try to put that arm around you, the armour of love, you know, you try to have it as some kind of protection. Oh, James, that is such a beautiful, beautiful way to describe. <laughs> I'm like welling up again because I just think it, to be to be able to say that about someone and to be able to give that to someone is is really such a beautiful thing. Thank you so much for talking to me about that. Oh, it's an utter pleasure. And thank you for all that you do because I oh. think that you're doing an am- Now you're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> We're both going, both going. We're both going. So we She's have to just, stop now. But yeah. it's amazing amazing what you're doing it's such an important thing and it's so helpful for people I think it really really matters who said comedy can't be serious (laughs) thank you so much she sounds so brilliant it was really nice thank you well lots of love thank you for everything James's book tell me good things on love death and marriage is out tomorrow the 24th of November 2022 it's a beautiful beautiful thing if you head to his website jamesruncie.com r-u-n-c-i-e is how you spell Runcie you can find all the information about his other books his plays his events and everything that he's up to you can follow us on twitter and instagram at the Griefcast. and as I mentioned at the start of the show the book launch is happening on January the 17th at Earth in Hackney in London head to Fane Productions to get tickets to that you can pre-order my book You Are Not Alone as well which is out January the 19th 2023 Um, the show is edited by Kate Holland music by the glue ensemble artwork by jade perkin uh i think that's all i have to tell you i'm sorry it's so admin heavy at the moment but obviously the book coming out there's lots of events and things so if you listen this far thank you so much for bearing with me in the admin heavy part of the show i really appreciate it and i really appreciate so much all the lovely messages that you send me this feels like a secret easter egg because who's going to get this far anyway if you have thank you so much and remember You are not alone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.